Hello, everybody, and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between five different themes every single week on a rotating schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. Hello, everybody. I'm Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, Nicole Davis. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Uh, my anti-giant ant measures seem to be working, and I haven't run into any monkeys lately, and um, my apartment seems to be staying on Earth, so it's all well. Very, very good. Those ants are dangerous, and we're supposed to be in the third movie, so... We just got them, like, 18 years later. David Luzader, how are you? I'm old and crotchety. That's how I'm feeling today. Old and crotchety. And he's going to be older and crotchetier in a couple years for Indiana Jones 5. Older and crotchetier. Older, that's, that's going to be the tagline on the uh, posters. You thought he was old last time. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, so we did indeed watch an Indiana Jones film, but before I tell you which one, if you haven't already guessed, uh, and why we watched it, I do want to introduce next week's movie. It is an around-the-world pick. Um, nope, nope. No. Future Classics. It's Future Classics. That is where one of the hosts has the opportunity to pick a film that's come out in the last decade. That means at this point, 2009 and onward, that they believe in some capacity will be a classic of cinema. Nicole, it's your opportunity next week to pick. What are we going to watch? Okay, I'm going rogue, doing an experiment, something we have never done before. Uh, it will be our first documentary. Ooh. 2010's Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Hmm. You're going to hear some folly work here, the mechanical keyboard, Cave of It is Fork. a Werner Herzog film. Really? You get that soothing Bavarian accent telling you all about the caves of France with the oldest drawings of man. Very cool. All right. Well, the cave, uh, the cave of Forgotten Dreams came out in 2010. That is what we are watching next week, everybody. Be sure to follow along with that if you would like to. It looks like it's widely available for rent on all those websites that you rent movies. But this week, it's Netflix roulette. We spun a wheel and the Netflix gods bestowed upon us Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I will say that all four Indiana Jones movies are on Netflix right now. I expect that to not be the case forever, unlike a lot of Netflix things. That that yeah. franchises tend to move in and out of services as contracts get up. So by the time you're listening to this a year from now, if you're you know, if you're listening to the backlog, it may not be there anymore. But at well, this point also, in time it is. Also Disney Plus uh, is where this will end up because uh, Disney oh, owns yes. Lucasfilm and all that now. And I'm Excellent pretty sure point. I'm pretty sure this is part of that catalog. Excellent point. Yeah, this is another franchise they can dunk into that Disney Plus to really, you know, make that package more appealing to folks. I don't know mm -hmm. if this movie is necessarily going to sell people on Disney Plus. Indiana Jones 4, mm -hmm. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It came out in 2008. It's the height of the Cold War, and famous archaeologist Indiana Jones returns from his latest adventure only to find his job at Marshall College in Jeopardy. He meets Mutt, a young man who wants Indy to help him find the legendary crystal skull of Akator, and the pair set out for Peru. 
However, deadly Soviet agent Irina Spalko is searching for the powerful artifact too, because the Soviets believe it will help them conquer the world. This is a movie that came out almost two decades after Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. So it was a franchise. I, I don't want to, it's not a reboot. It's a uh, long awaited sequel. That It's a sequel. Yeah, it's just a sequel. It's but it's but it's a movie that brought Indiana Jones the character into the 1950s. We have the Soviets it's, as the bad guys instead of the Nazis. It's still a sequel. Everything that happened beforehand is Oh, I know. I know. I'm just saying it's 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 very separate from the others at least in the sense of like it's a different indie in a different era. So it is a sequel. It's a different it's a it seems almost like a whole different animal. Right, right. Well, and I, they and I, really want you to know it's the 50s, just right off the bat. Oh, yes, oh, yeah. they do. When they're jiving <laughs> no to their... Yeah, when they're jiving to, I think, I think it's what, Elvis and the cars in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, whole nine yards. And, car, and the girls are in their poodle skirts and the, you know, the scarves tied in their hair and the... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Indy's one step away from like a cool swig of a nice Coke or like while winking at the screen. Um, <laughs> it is very much 1950s, 1957, in fact. And uh, Harrison Ford at the time of filming this was 66. Uh, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, in terms of the, the, the lore of Indiana Jones, I suppose, what would have been about 57. So he was quite a bit older than what Indiana Jones should technically be, not that anyone really cares. Uh, But in any case, this was a movie that not only brought the franchise back, but also tried to play quite a bit with like, oh, look at Indiana Jones and how old he is. And that's actually something that Harrison Ford really, you know, told Steven Spielberg, yes, please do this, do more of this, put more old jokes in the script because I want people to laugh at the fact that I'm old and also I look damn good for my age. Um, So I'll ask right off the bat, do, is how is Harrison Ford in this movie to you guys as a 66 year old Indiana Jones? Does he still sell it? I I mean, you telling me they, they emphasized the old, I mean, they did. He, I don't know. He doesn't have that, that roguish quality that young Harrison Ford had, you know, there was something that happened around the time of uh, the, the air force one where he started kind of becoming little bit of dad Harrison Ford <laughs> and yeah. this is this is more Air Force One Harrison Ford like he can still you know punch someone real good but like he's also your dad <laughs> yeah, is, is that pre or post fugitive this is post fugitive okay because so fugitive I, I was kind of edgy went from he he kind of went from you know the the charming, sexy rogue to snarky, but funny and, and still slightly charming, you know, older guy that you enjoy hanging out with. But like that's this, about it. This guy's going to tell you a lot of great stories about the glory yeah, days. Yeah, he's going to have awesome stories. Yeah, but then he's also like going to... All the parties. Then like also like he's going to like someone's going to have a whip. And he's like, ah, oh, let me show you some tricks with a whip, kid. <laughs> and like he's going to end up hurting you. Yeah. Exactly. Now speaking of, speaking of that, uh, Lucasfilm at the time was like, "Please, we have the technology. We don't need to use a real bullwhip anymore. They're very dangerous." No, you and don't. he was insistent that no, you're going to let me use the bullwhip, and you're going to let me do my own stunts, which I have to say, at his age, was fairly impressive. 
So so much so I, in the opening I scene. I do not believe that he did the the thing where he was jumping from beam to beam in the warehouse. Oh, I'm sure that there were stunt doubles for some of that, but in the scene where he's in that warehouse where he's driving through the wall um, with one of the stolen trucks, they actually had explosives that were rigged in the wall to explode it well before he got there so he could just drive right through. And they all exploded except for one, which actually fell down and landed in the passenger seat next to him. So Nice. Close call. <laughs> so could have lost an icon of film there. Now... <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how this is a film that, for better or for worse, is loathed largely, I think. I think it's fair to say that by the fans. And I went back and I did some digging because I'll come out and say it. I think I'm the only person on this panel. I love this movie. I think this, I, it's I, bad and I'm here for it. I don't. So let's like let's just kind of all give our tempers on it. I think we have three different representations. Yeah, definitely. Right? Brett loves it, despite knowing its flaws. Nicole, you hate it. I think we, that's fair to say. Yeah, I and I want to hate it. Let me let me just right. say that I went in trying to keep an open mind and watching some things and going, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's all going wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think the movie's fine. Even watching it now, there is stuff that happened where I was like, you know what? Okay, I... I get what they're doing here and I'm on board. There's also stuff that like, I get what they're doing here and I hate it. Uh, I'm very middle of the road on it, but I'll still take it over Temple of Doom any day. Thank you. I think, I think Temple of Doom was objectively <laughs> bad. I do. I know. I know. I'm, you know, D Brett had brought that up to me because I had let him know that I was not loving watching <laughs> <laughs> watching this movie and it was like well you know is temple of doom really that much better I'm like well i don't know i'll go check <laughs> well i, I haven't watched I've it watched in a long temple time of doom since it came out in the movie theaters um and yeah it's it's not it's not great it's no. not great guys it's, <laughs> it's not it's but, equally as problematic i think in many ways oh yes in many ways certainly racially and right in it depiction of different ethnicities it's very problematic in so many ways oh it's it's white savior but, to the nth degree where he literally walks into their village bestows upon them their stones and, okay well it's a different movie <laughs> continue <laughs> yes but in any case it's 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 it has a lot of problems however <laughs> however the story yeah. is simple and easy to follow and makes sense. This movie, it's <laughs> all over the damn place. I can barely tell where they are half the time. Which is funny because they go to less I places than most out. indie movies. Well, isn't isn't Marion married to Oxley? Didn't they say no. that Oxley helped raise her son? As well, like helped, a surrogate father figure that was more right. like a grandpa. Yeah. Right. Helped raise, but she he she married someone else. And I, right. I don't think it worked out. I think that was a no. temperate, but it's, it's who Mutt believes was his father. It, it's, it, I think it's insinuated that Mutt's father died in some capacity, his stepfather, because he talks about him in past tense. <laughs> he died in some capacity. <laughs> right. In some capacity. Well, no, it's, but, it's, Indiana, <laughs> it's Indiana Jones. Either he died of old age or something horrible happened to him. Those right. are the only two options in this universe. <laughs> now, one thing I did find interesting, were you watching this, and I haven't seen it in a couple of years, um, 
is <laughs> there's a scene when Indy first finds out that that Marion is uh, Marion Ravenwood is still around, and this is his son Mutt. We're gonna break that bombshell right away. Mutt oh, is no. his son. Spoiler alert for right. a movie. And uh, <laughs> and she makes a comment to him. You left, don't you? Didn't you wonder why Ox wanted nothing to do with you? Starting, you know, twenty years back or whatever. Um, that she was alluding to the fact that Ox was upset, and that Ox is a different professor played by John Hurt. Uh, Ox was upset that he did not stick around and help raise the kid. But then, right. at the very end of the of the movie, when Shia LaBeouf's character Mutt calls him Dad, oh, you're then right. John Hurt turns around. And he's like. Dad, <laughs> like he didn't know. <laughs> well, also, I want to. I, I got to say here, this movie, and I, I love John Hurt. This movie is a waste of John Hurt. Yes, it is. The, the, the role, yeah, the role is so small that you, you could have had any number of character actors do that role and have the same effect that John Hurt did. And I love John Hurt. They just, I just think they gave him. He did as well as as Richard Dreyfus would have done with this role, <laughs> which like, and I also oh. like Richard Dreyfus, but I'm saying like character actor, Richard Dreyfus, he you know? does as well as anyone could with the way this script was written. Yeah. That's, that's, yes, I that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So many problems with. So let's talk you know, about the writer that. has such a hit and miss record. Yeah. Oh yeah. Does he? This one is not one of his good ones. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about that that story for those that are perhaps unfamiliar, because as Nicole can attest to, it is possible to stay away from this movie for 11 years. This was your <laughs> first time seeing it. So yep. essentially what does happen is Mutt comes to Indy as Indy is getting all sorts of uncomfortable run-ins with the Soviets and finds out that an old, long-lost friend of Indiana Jones's, um, Professor Oxley, I believe, is... In bad shape, that he has found an artifact that that the Soviets have now kidnapped him over. And they must go to Peru, find this artifact, and get Ox back. So that part's fairly simple. Until it starts to get a little bit more complex with, we found the artifact, the artifact is an alien skull... Yeah. That's part of a Aztec city, not Aztec, like Mayan city, I think. Mayan city, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the lost Mayan city. It's it's El Dorado, basically. Uh, it and, is and El Dorado. I, right. They straight up say it's El Dorado. I, I thought it was the Incans in Peru. Not I think it's the Mayan. Mayans are like Central America. I don't, then they got that wrong because they definitely say Mayan. Or does he, or does he, well, he, he's speaking at some point to somebody, and I think he's maybe speaking to them in Mayan. Oh, speaking in Mayan. Okay. Well, then. then it, oh, that's all right, then. Okay. <laughs> totally better. I don't, I don't know. I just, this movie was oh, on. But, but I think to, to Nicole's point. Very he speaks everything. Yeah, but, but to yes. Nicole's point, previous Indiana Joneses have been formulaic in the sense of there's a very specific quest about here's what yes. here's what the the MacGuffin is and here's why the bad guys can't get it or else. And in this movie you don't necessarily have that because you don't know what the skull does. And and that's and that's a problem because when you when in the previous movies very often we're dealing with mystic forces, right? right. We're dealing with religious forces. All all three prior forces. are religious. Yes. And now we're dealing with Aliens, which are classically science fiction, sci-fi, science. Thi- like now, we're introducing like 
very loose, uh, very undefined sci-fi. And I think that just, that gets a little bit difficult because like you can say like, oh, we don't know what this thing does because uh, it's, you know, it's, it's God. And this, it's like, well, but, but these are like the, our understanding of aliens is there's logic to them in some way. They have to operate in some capacity. That's a good point. And, and I think for me, something I've always loved about the Indiana Jones movies and one and three do this especially well because one and three are based in, in biblical, you know, archaeology, if you want to call it that. So, you know, whether it's the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail, there's all sorts of the uh, text and history and different things that Indiana Jones can reference and pull you into to make this feel this immersive story of this archaeologist slash adventurer slash tomb robber. And you don't, you get that a little bit in number two. Uh, it's a different religion. It's, it's a, I can't remember where it takes place. India question mark. I can't remember. Yes, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then number four, you don't, get any of that you don't get the really cool scenes where indy explains to you you know here's what the ark ark of the covenant was and the mythology behind what they believed it could do and and all these cool things you don't really get that because he doesn't know it's aliens right we don't find out it's aliens until the very end of the movie or no midway because we see a generic alien corpse yeah, well, well, we see like the little mummified thing when they're in the warehouse, and then when he gets to Peru, she like cuts open the body and takes the skull out of it. Mm-hmm. And and there's also in the previous ones. Okay, sure, the Ark of the Covenant exists. It's a physical object, but uh, he doesn't know as far as anything else like that uh, that it has special properties. It's a it's a physical. It's just a physical thing. Like sure, yeah, they built it. This is an alien skull from the beginning. Right. Made out of crystal. Cause their entire skeletons made out of crystal and they, <laughs> their skeletons can merge back into one alien. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that this time around. And somehow the, the skull, the, the aliens come in like different sizes. Um, yeah, because there's a little one that they're after at the beginning, and then the ones at the end are all like really big and elongated, like, like, uh, the, like the you know the pilot in Alien. Well, uh, I, and there's one thing I, I gotta ask: Navigator? the way that he opens up the door is he puts the alien skull up to where like the face would be. I know. So there's like, so imagine these aliens are walking around like, well, I'm going to go into this room. I just got to shove my face into this corner real quick. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, again, I think what made the other so powerful for me is that they are these, um, you know, they're they're like in the back of your mind when you're a kid watching this, you can think like, oh, my God, what if someone did find the Ark of the Covenant? And you don't necessarily have that. When it's aliens and, and, and they, they play, I think to varying degrees of success with some of the alien tropes. I think, I think it's kind of cool that it's hinted at that Indiana Jones for some reason was, was contracted by the government to essentially go out to Roswell is what they allude to and collect oh, the yeah. alien, but not yeah, figure out the alien. 51 painted on the inside yeah. of the warehouse. Yep. Yeah. Not the, the outside, the, the inside. inside, the inside, and then, and I, I kind of don't know where they are. 
Right, exactly. And, you know, I kind of did like that the thing in the beginning of like, I, I don't understand why he would be part of that team. Right, that's what I'm confused it, at. Well, th- and, it's, and, this, and this movie does this thing where it's like Indiana Jones, uh, th- this happens in a lot of movies, where scientists are basically wizards. Yeah. Uh, and so he is like, well, well, we need a spy and we need somebody who can look at alien remains. And uh, we also need an archaeologist. Get Indiana Jones, I guess. He does all those things. It also yeah, so tries. He apparently spied for like years. For like years. Yeah, for the, right. for the entirety of World War II, it sounded like. Well, that's the thing is it tries to expand upon the mythology of what indiana jones has done with his time more so than the rest of the films because they're trying to fill in x amount of years and i think it does that to very hit miss because there's times when they're talking about the things he's done and you just think in your head about how it doesn't make any sense like for instance when he's talking the mutt and he talks about the time that he got kidnapped by pancho villa well pancho villa died in the early 20s so he says he, he would have been Mutt's age, oh. mm-hmm. but yep. he was already no, like actually, in his early thirties. Scans because, no. like I said, I was watching Temple of Doom, and that was nineteen thirty-five that that takes place. And he's a man in his okay, you know, I, I guess right. supposedly in his thirties yeah. at if that we, time. If we assume Mutt is about twenty-ish, somewhere between twenty and okay, I'll buy that twenty-three. You know, he's saying like he's saying like I was I was. 23 but hey well yeah you know I'm, I'm yeah but like you could say you know like if i'm talking to, a, to somebody who's like 20 and i'm remembering something that happened in my you know in my early 20s i'd be like when i was your age you know, yeah no i, I hear man. that i hear that well, i think where i keep getting hung up is that indiana jones is a character from a movie serial that's how he was yeah. Written to be, that's how the character was conceived. He belonged in like the movie serials that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas loved as kids, where you got like a 10 minute episode before your feature movie every week at the movie house. And you had like this ongoing adventure. And so he's, he's that character. And he, that character belongs to the 30s and 40s i don't that character is not one that can exist outside of the 30s and 40s because the world changed too much i don't think you're necessarily wrong in that i think there were times of this where i felt it felt like an indiana jones movie but it's like it's 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 like looking at it through a funhouse mirror in a way yeah like things are things are very similar. I'm seeing all the same shapes, but it's just a, it's just a little wrong. Is yeah, it because of the fridge? I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk no, about the fridge. No. It's, it's because there's too much, you know, I don't know. It was, it was too much about him in the modern age instead of this sort of timeless world that right. he belongs to in studying, yeah. you know, ancient cultures. It yeah. was it was too much. But oh god, the fridge. Right. So 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 the fridge for those the, unfamiliar the meme of the movie. Yeah, he survives yeah. uh he survive nuke the fridge is like a colloquialism of its own nowadays um from this movie instead of jump the shark. But he survives a nuclear explosion by getting in a lead-lined refrigerator and flying like a quarter mile in the air and yeah, tumbling just- through the Nevada desert. Let's assume right off the bat that that the lead lining could protect him 
from the radiation. Sure. <laughs> I'll give you that. But I'll he, give he you immediately that. gets but, out, though. <laughs> but that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's hit with a concussive force so powerful and yeah. heat and heat that is that literally would burn your flesh in seconds. Which they show on all the mannequins in this testing site. Yeah. But, uh, but he's the fine. Fridge. But he's fine. <laughs> he's totally fine. Well, and, and all right. So assuming he survived the heat, like the, the concussive wave, say the, the wave of air going ahead of it blew the refrigerator out of place and blew it across the desert. It lands incredibly hard. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. He is, many bones. All bones have shattered in, in yeah. Indy's body. Yeah. <laughs> now, now many, two things, many though. Bones. Two things. You know, that's the thing with the Indiana Jones movie. You know, I'll give you the you like Temple of Doom. They go flying out of a small plane on a raft, but you know that you can stretch to believe because it's a small plane that's going fairly slowly because it's running out of fuel. Don't they use the raft so as a parachute, though? They, they do. Yes. Yeah, out of the raft, okay. it inflates as they're going down, it turns into like a sail, slowing them down oh, as they're falling. They're not that far above <laughs> the mountain when they jump out. You know, I can, I can just what barely about, kind of buy it. What I about him clinging onto the back of a submarine <laughs> underwater? Okay, okay, if you're gonna if you're going to even try to talk shit about the last crusade, <laughs> I will leave this podcast. No, I don't care what my point my point is that whether it's a man living after having his heart pulled out of him or him dragging on a submarine, I I think I guess my point is that the, the refrigerator is easy to meme, and I don't necessarily know if it's that it's, much more absurd than some of the things that have happened in the franchise. There's a certain level with movies like this where I'm just like, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. sure. We already, but we this already movie seeds the sure level for me. <laughs> right, I, I can totally see how that's possible. So I think, yeah, I think it toes the line for me. So qu- question though, guys, I sent this to both of you earlier. There is a very popular fan theory that emerged on Reddit that okay. Indy essentially has superhuman strength and slash or dexterity slash HP where he can survive <laughs> this sort of thing because he did drink from the Goblet of Christ in the third movie. And maybe that's just kind of beefed him up a bit to survive this sort of thing. I don't know if I buy it. But no. we have a solution. No. I I mean, it is, it's a solution that does kind of work because, you know, the knight that they find who's guarding the Holy Grail is like 700 years old because he's been drinking out of the Grail. And also the, the, the rules of the Grail are incredibly vague in that movie because yes. you can be, have eternal life, but if you have a gunshot wound and you're Sean Connery... It's only going to heal your gunshot wound, but you're still going to die 13 years later. Well, because because he left the cave. But there were other knights that left the cave and lived hundreds of years, according to that night. We don't have to do a. <laughs> I guess Look, it's like if you're, if you're going to start talking shit about the Last Crusade. No, I will leave. It's my favorite there. Indiana Jones movie. I love it too. I guess what I'm saying is that uh, there there are absurdities in Indiana Jones movies. This one is a very bad one, though. Um, scientists. Uh, just like scientists as like a uh, overarching term for various people that do science uh, have reported to many publications in the last 11 years that no, this is not possible. 
So <laughs> it has been thoroughly debunked. Now, but let's yeah, get to the no. to the meat of the fact that you know the fans do pretty much hate this movie. It's one of the most reviled mm-hmm. sequels of all time. I think it's fair to say it really is. It's 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 a prequel status in terms of its. It's just so disappointing. And I that's mean, what yes, I want to get okay, at because if you want to consider if you want to say Temple of Doom is poo, that's fine. <laughs> but Raiders of the Lost Ark is considered by many, and certainly me, to be a perfect movie. Yeah. It is a it is a rare yeah. ten out of ten for me. It is immaculately constructed and written and acted, and you know the problematic stuff isn't all that problematic really for when it was made and where it's depicting and what it's doing it's just you know it's and it's got a a, you know a feisty love story and the woman has agency and you know it's it's all good it's all good you know it's (laughs) and you get nazis (laughs) melting at the end it's great right so So, perfect about any of this but i guess my point though is that it's it's just so disappointing because yeah, it's it's disappointing. It's lazy. It's lazy. There's so much lazy fan service in here. There's so much lazy sight gags. There's lazy. Oh, isn't that a cool scientific thing? It's like, oh, he's releasing gunpowder into the air because it'll fly to them for some reason. Magnetized alien thing, and the crowbars <laughs> will stick. To the crate, but the rifles that are dangling four inches above the crate are not magnetized to the crate somehow. Th- and the powder that's flying through the air is not subject to gravity. It doesn't fall to the floor and then slide toward the crate. No, it just flies straight through the air because why not? <laughs> it's like, You're not is- wrong. That's You're why not- I'm so. That's why I'm so mad about it. <sighs> no, no. My point though is that is that is that while it is it is somewhat reviled. Reading back today, and I read a ton of reviews of this when it came out, this holds a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was not hated by critics. There were critics that said it was lazy, and they said that it didn't have the magic or the luster of previous Indiana Jones films, and a lot of critics no. said it was unnecessary, and that's true. But people didn't that's hate it. Shows up anyway. yeah, but, right, but the people didn't hate it like they do now. It almost seems like it, hatred for it has grown over the years. Yeah, it it has because over time, I mean, what do you what are you gonna, who are the people who are going to keep talking about this movie, right? Not the people who thought it was fine, not the people who were like, yeah, that was okay. It's going to be the people who uh, felt really angry and 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 betrayed. And I and I just want to say this as a general feeling for prequel movies and sequel movies that come out for something that you love that don't live up to the quality of that. Uh, that sucks. It does. I'm not going to deny that it doesn't. But also. Don't ever say things like it ruined my childhood. Don't say no. crap like that. That is so no. stupid. The thing you love still exists in the form that it existed. Yes. Just don't watch Crystal Skull again. Just don't watch yeah. the prequels. That's fine. I Put just wanted, yeah, just wanted, <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. But I think over time, you're going to have the people who are going to keep talking about this are the ones who made jokes of it and and were uh, were upset by it versus people like me who were like, yeah, that was a movie I watched. I kind of wonder if it's because over time the kind of some of the luster has worn off of Steven Spielberg. Mm. Yeah. And so people feel like they have permission to hate it. 
Oh, <laughs> well, that's a that's a great you conversation know, that all three of us had today in our Slack channel that we should have had on air, frankly. Which was when you look, <laughs> I was kind of thinking that. When yeah. We were so, it. but when, but the gist of it is that when you look at Spielberg's filmography from you know Catch Me If You Can two thousand three onward, there are very very few, if any entries in his filmography that are as widely regarded as superb and Spielberg level as something like E.T. or Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark or anything like that. And a lot of the movies have been seen as borderline gimmicky and gaudy. Things like Ready Player One that was visually stunning, but I was in a commercial for two hours. Well, Ready Player One's fault is mostly because that book kind of sucks. Pew pew yeah, totally. at Davlaws on Twitter. Oh yeah, no. Uh, if you if you love that book, you're in a very small minority. I think at this point, <laughs> right? Um, but but it, it was but the I, kind of story he wanted to tell, which was unusual because it was so uh, different but, than his roots. Yeah, and like when when they announced like, oh, Spielberg's going to make it. I'm like, that seems pandery, just like the book. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think Nicole, you know, you mentioned that some of the luster of Spielberg is worn off, and I think that's very much the case. And the reason I brought that up to you guys in Slack earlier is because Shia LaBeouf had this issue. Shia LaBeouf, who plays Mutt, Indiana Jones's son in this movie, they were very much setting him up to be the next Indiana Jones. And he might have been able to carry that torch, but throughout the entire press junket, he complained about how bad he thought the movie was and how he... And it was Now, it was self-deprecating. He was also like, there are stupid scenes, and as an actor, even if they're stupid, I could have done better filming them the monkey scene, that sort of thing. I think part of that's out of his hands. The monkey scene is going to be bad. I don't care who you are. But his point was, this is not a good movie. And I feel bad for I feel bad for being in it. And Spielberg just blacklisted him from his projects after that. They fired him from any potential Indiana Jones uh, sequels. And then later on, just a couple years ago, Shia LaBeouf made the comment that he doesn't like a lot of the early work that Spielberg either directed or produced in his career. Things like the Transformers movies and Indiana Jones and Eagle Eye, because he felt that the idol of Spielberg that he looked up to as a kid had become less of a visionary and more of a corporate sellout. If that's what you want to, you know, align it with. Um, That's, he felt that it was a caricature of what, of what he believes Spielberg to be growing up watching movies like Jaws. And I, I don't know if he's totally wrong. I think, I think Nicole put this really well in our Slack and, and I want to, I want to give all credit to you because I think you put my feelings on it in, in exact words, which were, uh, which now I'm trying to find we've, we've had a lot of talk in between now and then I, I was going to just, <laughs> if you remember the words, go ahead and, and say them. Um, you don't you don't remember okay top quality well, podcasting everybody okay here it is here it is he has has all the budgets and has made all his passion projects and i think that that perfectly sums it up yeah i said that he wasn't hungry anymore yes yes because because he had now he has all the money he could ever want when he wants to make a movie and he has he's finished making all his passion projects yeah he's that- made saving private ryan he's made schindler's list he's made munich like he's 17 Band of Brothers movies. Park. He's done, you know, yeah. E.T. He, right. You know, he's, he's done those. And it, then he's done some, he's done some good fun stuff. Like Catch Me If You, Catch Me If You Can is delightful. 
Yeah. You know, I love that movie. And uh, War of the Worlds, I thought, was pretty good. And I, I like Minority Report a lot. I think it's really cool. But after that, I just, you know, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff after that. I saw The Terminal and I was just like, oh. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a oh, movie. he can make not good movies. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he... He, I, I, I think there's, there's, there's so much of, of all of that where he is. He made the stuff that he really wanted to make, and then he just kept making movies because that's what he does. That's that's yeah. his job, and he's not bad at it. He makes competently directed movies, yeah. but he's not but I making. Just don't have any urge to see them. Right, he's not making anything that is challenging for him anymore. Like I, I kind of wonder what would happen if a studio was like, Hey, we're going to give you $5 million and that's all you're going to get. And you know, go make a movie with that. What can you make us with just five and what he would come up with? Cause I think like in, in restraint, he would, it would be so much more interesting Where right now ready player one. If he was like, you know what? I'm going to need 25,000 more dollars. They would be like, okay, here you go. Here's a check. I go also, I also think that and I was, I was thinking about this today that I think, Spielberg's filming uh, of the last decade in particular, decade and change, has been largely reactionary. And I mean that in the sense that for this movie, uh, Harrison Ford came to him in late 2006 and said, you need to have a project and a script in the next year or we're not making these things. I'm out of the Indiana Jones thing. He lit a fire under him, which they partially attribute to the poor story. I don't buy it, but they say, yeah, we only had X amount of time or else we're going to lose Harrison Ford. And once we lose him, we can't make this. So reactionary there. I think the poster's reactionary to spotlight. I think ready player one was reactionary to a culture of, to the online culture of Twitch and, and Reddit and, and 4chan. And I think that was the, People thinking the '80s were better than it was, right? And exactly, and all, and also the trend of the '80s being particularly um, trendy, <laughs> the trend of it being trendy. And I think all these ideas are very much reactionary in the sense of like he doesn't he doesn't have a passion project that he badly wants to make and is spending years making. These things pop up, and then he makes them. And and I'm curious to see what he does with West Side Story because I have no interest in seeing it, but. He's been doing it for like three or four years now, and at least it's something moderately different than what he's been doing lately. I don't really need another historical drama from him. So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe doing a musical will be something new and exciting for him. Also, maybe he has no idea how to film a musical. <laughs> it could be interesting. It could be like Les Mis and just all medium shots. Hey, it's going up against Cats at the box office, so may the best oh, musical good in. Lord, no. <sighs> Meow. Okay, so could Shia LaBeouf have carried that torch? Could he have been Indiana Jones if he hadn't had screwed up with Spielberg? <sighs> and I'm not talking about the. Uh, I'm not talking about whether or not you know they would have made the movies. I'm just talking about could he sell you himself as Henry Jones Jr. Junior. I think he could have. I think he would have had to be had to be a, a little bit of a different adventure. You know, he had a different personality in the movie. He was a little more, a little more of a free spirit, a little more with the times. You know, he's he impulsive. Have slightly different interests, but still be very smart and able to get out of a jam. And um, you know, can Shia communicate LaBeouf with monkeys. A, yeah, Shia LaBeouf is a 
good to great actor. He's a he's an insane human being. Help outside of <laughs> right. He is acting. crazy. Yeah. He yeah. He may not be totally well. Um, but you know, I've seen him in movies where he is magnetic and interesting and good and you know really projecting hey this i am this character and this is what he's like and this is what he does and you know and it he is very competent at being a a different character that where you don't just see shia labeouf you know but outside of it he is so unpredictable that i i don't know that they would have carried on with him anyway, even if he hadn't been blacklisted. <laughs> Indiana yeah. Jones is doing a 36 hour live stream of himself sitting in the, uh, in the art Institute. I don't know if this is going to go well for the next Indiana Jones movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have trouble buying him. I just do. I, I, I just can't see it. I just can't. I have trouble buying him as a greaser, certainly. Yeah, the yeah. greaser is, is tough, too. And I, I do love that he gets punched. He's got the dry look 20 years too soon. Right. Yeah. Now, he also gets punched in the uh, in the the shop that him and and Indiana Jones meet for the first time when... Oh, you, a, you mean when when he gets punched in the bar in the little soda shop is equally divided between greasers and jocks? Oh yes, I guess. oh yes, and the, and the jocks <laughs> oh, boy, girlfriend, the, the jocks girlfriend that punches him, is the daughter of Spielberg and um, the lead Spielberg's lady. Spielberg's got like eight kids. The the lead lady from Kate Temple Gapsha? of Doom. So oh. Kate Capshaw. Yeah. In any case, uh, it's a bad scene. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, well, yes. I think I think I agree with Nicole Shia LaBeouf as a very good actor. He is a very interesting human being and probably not somebody that could be in a franchise because I don't I just think as a person he wouldn't work well in that restriction. Uh, I mean well, he, I know he was in the Transformers yeah. <laughs> movies. Yeah, and look how that look what that did to him as a like yeah. look what he did for the you know the, the the four years after those were over. He hates them. Yeah. 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 I just I don't think that he's right for a franchise at all. Yeah, yeah he needs he needs to he does really well in independent movies, right? And I think he would do it would it would benefit him to stick to those. Yeah, I agree. Now, some other people that pop up in this movie. Let's talk about some of the people that pop up in this movie, and also some that did not. Now. Toward the first of all, let's talk about the the reintroduction of Karen Allen as Marion, our lead lady from from Raiders of the Lost Ark Returns, and one of the one of the highlights of this movie. And she is spectacular. She's the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, she, she she's every bit as as fiery and independent and intense as she was in Raiders, and uh, she's just great. She's absolutely awesome. And John Hurt's there, and that's great, even though he doesn't have much to work with because he's catatonic <laughs> half the movie. Yep. Yeah, he's good at being catatonic and muttering things, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we have some wonderful yeah, performances yeah. from some people that... It, it was great to see Marion back. It, it, I didn't need Indiana Jones to, like, awkwardly fall in love with (laughs) whatever middle you know i don't i just didn't need i i didn't need another indiana jones love interest 
Now, weirdly, weirdly, one of the things I've never really loved about Indiana Jones is, and I think like the womanizer personality type is a little is problematic for its own reasons. But it's Indiana Jones is a character. I'm like, why doesn't he just have a girlfriend? Like it yeah, doesn't make sense. Like Marion well, works out. He's running off to some weird country in but, the but middle they, of nowhere. But they introduce this girl in the beginning, Marion, who also has the spirit of adventure, who is there right. with him, who, who, who he resonates with so well. And then every other movie's like, he meets another woman. I'm like, no, but Marion. We're like, that's why they made Temple of Doom a prequel, right? It's because they didn't want yeah. people upset about him stepping out on Marion. Which I always right. forget is a prequel. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, and, and you're right, Marion had that adventurous free spirit where she could have been the the background love interest to yeah, all these movies. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. But it's wonderful to see her back. Uh, and some people we didn't see back, uh, Sean Connery declined to come out of retirement, uh, even though they asked him to come back. He, he does show up in a candid photo of uh, what looks like Sean Connery straight out of his press kit, sitting on Indiana yep. Jones's, uh, you know, uh, desk. And uh, and his character is now dead. And then John Rhys Davies, who plays uh, Sala in Raiders of the Lost Ark, also declined to come back because they wanted him to come back in the wedding scene at the end when Indy and uh, Marion finally get hitched. And he said, no, that's tacky. That's going to pull mo- people right out of the movie and we shouldn't do no. that. What? No, he wanted to have a bigger role. Really? I, I, I had a quote from him where he said that it was... um. It was like, it was just completely, like not. I'm, I need to find. But he, he yeah, he he said to, something to the effect of that it's kind of tacky for me to just randomly show up. So and maybe he did uh, also want a bigger according role. To, according to Wikipedia, uh, there they have some quote from him somewhere. Uh, where he said, all right, if I'm asking to sit they did ask me to do a little cameo in Indy 4, actually. I was going to be a shot at a Greenstein studio. I was going to sit down, and then I would cut to the wedding, something like Indy getting an award or something like that. I thought the character of Sala is worth more to the audience than that. Oh, okay. So, I mean, maybe that could be construed, that could be construed as, like, I, I, you know, I thought the character was worth more than just a little cameo. Yeah, uh, he had a different quote where he said that he felt Sala being a crowd member would quote cheat the audience and cheapen the character. So that's kind of how I interpreted that. But you're right. First of all, that's dumb. That is dumb. It would cheapen the character that he would be at his friend's wedding. <laughs> what? I don't. I, I kind of have to agree though that because what they wanted to do was they wanted to have everyone from adult short round to to John Rhys Davies, to all these other people from the Indiana Jones movies at this wedding, and then he shut them down, and that kind of shut down the idea. And I think that would have been really cheesy and tacky. Yeah. To have everybody there, yeah. Do I need adult short round? I don't need adult short round. I Well, I wouldn't have minded giving that guy some work, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably could use the paycheck, uh... Yeah, no, you know, but David, David, you're probably right. No, I think a huge, the bigger part of it is that you like, wanted the paycheck. Yeah, again, I watched number two, some of number two this afternoon, and that kid's boy, he's doing his best, and he's charming <laughs> as hell. Andy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. So, does this movie suffer from its glances backwards, looking at people like? Uh, as, 
yeah, as we were just saying. Uh, but like the movie, uh, the movie when they're in the warehouse, and it's like, aha, look, don't you see the the Ark Never. of the Covenant? Huh? Yeah, it's it's a fatal problem. Never remind your audience of a better movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It, I think we talked about this when we did Swordfish as well. The opening of Swordfish is is John Travolta talking about how great this scene from a movie is. And it's like, no, you don't you don't do that because then you have to, <laughs> you have to live a movie I'd much rather be watching. Right. Than this one. <laughs> you have to live up to that movie and you're probably not going to. Yeah, I, I I think that there's there's benefit in some of the things. Like I think that there are some some heartwarming looks back when they look at the character of Marcus and how Marcus had died and and had you know gotten a statue which is now destroyed at the fictional Marshall College. I'm not being David off of Ben O'Malley at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think you you do run the risk of reminding people of movies they liked better. And uh, one piece of Indiana Jones movies the characters they like better. Right, that's in our that's in our docket. I just this just seems like a, a good place to segue for a second here with the the character of Mac. Yes, but that's exactly where I was going. I can't remember <laughs> his name. Yeah, I can't remember the character's name in Indiana Jones, but he's only in it for like he, he's in number three a bunch. Um, but he only has to be in it for five minutes and you already know so much about who his character is and you already love him. Whereas Mac, you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Except that he's British. So so for background for the Australia. audience, Mac is, is somebody that Indy has uh, supposedly gone on many adventures with and been a secret agent with many times and they get dropped at the front of Area 51 at the beginning of this movie as if they've both been kidnapped together. And then Mac is... Area 51, guarded by like six people. I I know. But but then Mac is is a double agent and a triple agent, but then he lied about being a double agent. Yeah. Yeah, so what I said in the docket is, are we supposed to care about Mac? Because he's introduced, like we should know him, but we don't know who this is. And then he spends the entire movie betraying the heroes i don't know who this actor is i don't ray winstone yeah i don't know that That, that's who it is it's ray winstone so i have i have two thoughts on this (laughs) the first thought i have is that um i think mac does one service to indy in this movie which is in this movie, Indiana Jones at several points foregoes um, party lines. I don't want to say party lines, but uh, but certainly certainly uh, his ideologies. To there are several times where he is searching for this treasure, and borderline gets buddy bud with the Soviets because he's so invested in what he's searching for. And they all start searching together and everything else melds away, whether or not it's his conflicts or anything else like that. And Mac included. And I think the other part of it is that at the end when Mac has finally betrayed him again, he still does want to save Mac and he tries. And I think there's, there's some character development to be shown there in the sense that Indy's priorities uh, have grown in older age, I think, a little bit. Well, I, he he also did this a little bit in the third one too, right? He tried to save the woman. That's true. He did. I forgot about that. What is 
what is with him and people who he shouldn't be saving? But then the other thing I wanted to mention is that this movie miss is missing, in my opinion, a very key element of an Indiana Jones movie that uh, all Bond movies do this too, which is um, the introductory adventure that immediately throws you into the excitement that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And all the Indiana Jones movies have it. The Bond movies have it. Right, the cold open. The Bond movies have it. And I think that you could have had a cold open with him and Mac on an adventure. And then we cut to years later, they've now been captured. And they they don't do any of that. They drop you right into Area 51. And I think that the the best, the greatest Indiana Jones scene of all time is the cold open uh, with, with with the boulder. And they don't take that opportunity at all. And that could have also been an opportunity to expand upon Mac as a character. Yeah, and they, I mean, they kind of were trying to, right? They were kind of trying to make that the cold open that would then lead into everything else. But I think there's something to to what you're saying of it. It yeah, we were missing that weird connect that we would have gotten of just like seeing these two on an adventure together that you still could have tied in later, but it's not obvious right away. Where this is like we are entrenched in aliens from minute one. That is what this is all about. So I, I agree. Now we we can be entrenched in aliens, but not without our problematic depictions of ethnic and indigenous peoples. So Nicole, <sighs> I I, yeah. I I give you the stage to talk about our two different. Oh, there, there's what the Peruvian natives, and then the 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 Mayan question mark natives, and um, both are are okay. bad. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, none of them are. None of them are characters. Why are they none all hiding are... in crevices? Like uh, in both cases, yeah. they're hiding in crevices to jump out and scare you. Yeah, apparently living off the moss and the rainwater while they hide in the rocks, waiting for people <laughs> to come by. Mm-hmm. They've allowed their civilization to fall into collapse. Right, right. They've got no village anywhere. This is just all they do is they wait for foreigners to come by so they can attack them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or or do some rad kung fu skills. And when tries to fight one, you know, it's like he's wearing a mask that's a skull and he takes it off and the guy is just like yipping in his face, baring his teeth and doesn't actually say anything with words and then like the next group of people they've got different hairdos and they're more buff and slightly more naked but they're also more aggressive right from the beginning yeah it it reminded me and i said this in the slack which it reminded me of this thing that um the uncharted games do but i i think that are somehow not as culturally insensitive as this cuz the the uncharted games are kind of people being like oh so they took the idea of indiana jones and put it into a video game and did it really well they make the games are very exciting they're very dynamic but it always gets to this point where you are about to find the treasure and you you stumble upon like this group of people who have been protecting it for 400 years and it's it, that I just got that vibe so hard of like, so you've done nothing this whole time. Like you've just been doing this. You're just sitting and waiting to make sure nobody comes in. Like you're not, what do you talk about? Yeah, you're not <laughs> off raising. 
or hurting. Right. Speaking or... now, speaking of which, we are going to get the Uncharted movie next December, so December twenty twenty. Is Tom Holland still attached? And Tom Holland is going to play the young Nathan Drake. So we're going to have like Tom. Wait, what are we talking about now? Tom Holland is going to play the lead character of the Uncharted games, a younger version of that character, in a movie coming out December twenty twenty. So we will essentially get an Indiana Jones movie. I'll believe it when I see it. They keep pushing it back because they're not working on it. Yeah, yeah, but I but I think that could be a great spiritual successor to Indiana Jones. Um, it absolutely could be and should be, especially if Indiana Jones Five doesn't work out. And since they haven't started filming it yet, and they keep pushing that back as well, I'm also I'm also a bit skeptical of that. So let's talk about Kate Blanchett. We haven't really at all her and her mop top wig and her accent that slides in and out I've of being russian never i've never seen her so bad <laughs> never yeah i love her and everything somebody hasn't seen robin hood <laughs> i've never seen her so bad i've never seen her be so dodgy with an accent have you seen oh, robin hood fighting so back into british which which Robin Hood are you talking about? I'm talking about, about Ridley hundred... Scott Robin Hood where she plays Marion. Oh. No. Is that with Taron Edgerton? No, one before no, no, that. No, that's the Gerard Butler. This is the Gerard Butler one. Not that either. No. <laughs> Wait, no, that was the Ridley Scott one. Right, but it's not Gerard was... Butler. It's what's his name? Russell Crowe. Gladiator. Crowe. Oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. They're, it's okay. Russell They're the same Crow. person. But uh, she plays yeah. Marion, and that's really bad, too. But I love that movie, too. So... Uh, yeah, she's not great in this movie, but I also kind of love her because she's absolutely bonkers. But for minute, go. go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say you, you can go, but like just from minute one, her accent is inconsistent. But Nicole, go for it. I keep waiting any second for her to start sharply asking her minions where Moose and Squirrel are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wish. Oh, you know what? I, I forgot to put in the show note, but I, I just got to mention real quick. What were the ants going to do with that still living human they took? And what yeah. anthill? I don't care how big it is. I don't care how big the colony is. Could they take they a human body down into it? Big enough for a human being to fit into. Wonderful questions. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. I do think that the ants have, look... And if I didn't have any wounds, they were just, like, covering him, and they dragged him down? Well, because the queen wanted a new mate, and she, you know, she was a little tired of, of ants. Well, it wouldn't he have suffocated to death on all the ants going into his down his throat, oh, and yet somehow oh, he was still able so, to yell perfectly well. Oh God! So many went into his throat, but so it looks many. better though. Oh, it be does look better than the monkeys. Eh. On level, on par. The monkeys look bad. The monkeys look really bad. The monkeys and the prairie okay, dogs yeah, look the bad. The ants look better than the monkeys. It's just they don't. Uh, what about the prairie dogs? I don't buy it. Well, this is a- they look dumb. I don't buy the CGI prairie dogs <laughs> for crying out loud. They couldn't have used <laughs> real prairie dogs. Well, and that's kind no. of the see that's kind of the problem too of like these movies that were made in the eighties where you couldn't use computer effects. Like maybe you could do no, you could do screen, 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 screen. right. 
you could do some touch up every, uh, every now and then, but you had to do what you had to do. And in 2008, this is when it started off of like, okay, well, a groundhog runs across the screen. Okay, just CGI it. And we need some monkeys. Okay, it's just CGI. Uh, the ants carry off a human. Ah, just, it's just, just, just computer, computers do it. Live animal, go get one. They're <laughs> yeah. not hard to find. No, no, it, it would, it would have been, it would have looked fine. It would have looked so much better. Yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree. But I, I, as we begin the wrap here, I do want to very briefly Buy the footage from the BBC. <laughs> I don't care. You know, whatever. <laughs> I, I do want to briefly soapbox in the sense that. I think the reason I love this movie, even though I know it's bad, is because this movie came out when I was 13, and I'd never seen Indiana Jones in the movie theater. I grew up loving Indiana Jones. I was Indiana Jones for five different Halloweens, and uh, seeing Indiana Jones on the big screen when you're that age and you've always loved Indiana Jones, and the moment that we see the silhouette for the first time of him putting on the fedora and getting the music stinger is magical. And it's not the same kind of magic, but if you are that age and you love those movies, you are willing to look past the dumb things because it's Indiana Jones and it's happening right then and it's really cool. And I think that for me being in that demo at that time and being that kind of geek, this will always be fun for me because I remember how excited I was. I th- and I think for me that is what phantom menace is in so like, yeah good comparison uh, now see i was just about to i was trying to think of like what mine would be in that analog. i think my analog would be star trek 4 oh see there you go because it was incredibly dopey but i found <laughs> delightful at the time yeah phantom you know, menace star trek you could take your mom to yeah right phantom <laughs> menace came out when i was like 11 years old i'm the, I'm the perfect age for it my mom took me out of school to go see it like, oh what a good mom yeah this this how could it not be one of the best movie experiences of my life i watch it now and i'm like objectively bad but it oh my it's it's my childhood it warms my heart i can't not love it right and that's exactly where i'm at with this movie so that's my soapbox. I think that this is a, a fun movie if you're willing to look past the flaws, but it's also very problematic. And I'm I'm sorry you didn't you hate it as much as you did, Nicole. Uh, I think it's fun hating. As long as you had fun hating it. Uh, I would love yeah, our I, listeners I, to write in on this one too at hi at mgrpodcast.com because I know everyone has a very polarizing opinion on this film. I mean, okay, I will say I dug like the alien temple at the end. Yeah, that I was thought pretty that cool. Looked- great that looked really cool and awesome and just belonged in a totally different movie because it was all physical sets it was all physical sets they were there looking at those alien like those looked really good yeah i'm Mm -hmm. with you because they were there (laughs) agreed amazing how that works okay hollywood you know note stuff ages much better if it's actually physically in the room with the actors Mm-hmm. Just, just a little tip. I will say the alien looks good until it turns into one mega alien, and then it looks kind of bad. <laughs> and yeah. then it just looks like Grandma really pissed because you hit her dentures again. Yeah. Right? It's really, it's really pale and slick and and hairless. And the CGI hasn't held up that well. And I think also mm-hmm. I do like that the undoing of the Indiana Jones villain is her own 
lust for knowledge and power uh, or or I mean, that's every that's every one of them yeah, though right that's what i mean all, that's what i mean is that, undone by their own that's what i mean is at least they kept that they kept that and i like that so though it sure. also doesn't I make much know. sense I to me no no i don't want to know anymore i don't know if i understand <laughs> I the motivation though the motivation of like don't look at the ark is like it's a sacred thing the motivation of drinking out of the wrong cup is like that's not Jesus's cup, and then this one is just I brought you back your head. Tell me what you know, and then it kills her. Uh huh. I don't know if I get the motivation of the alien on that. Uh, maybe it could read her mind and know that she had ill intentions or something. Sure, that sure. She would sure. Well, she originally <laughs> wanted to take things over with that knowledge. She originally wanted the skulls for their power, but then just like, would settle for like, teach me how to farm. So apparently, that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She she kind of went for those who have not seen the film. She goes into a mind meld with the alien at the end of the movie which explodes her into oblivion what her eyes burning out that was pretty freaky that was kind of rad it's no melt it's it's no face melt but i'll take it no yeah, it's no it's no face melting all righty well i think which i can tell you at age nine is utterly terrifying Oof. yeah yeah <laughs> Well, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, available now on Netflix, assuming you are uh, listening at the point of which this is still on Netflix before Disney+. Plus. Uh, Guys, is there any other final words on Indiana Jones? Don't watch it. Man! (laughs) Don't watch this one. I, you know, I'm always... Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I would agree there are better things to watch, uh, but there's also worse things to watch. Is where I fall. I think that this talk of like we're going to make another one. You know, I'm I'm of the opinion of like if you can make something good, go ahead and make it. That's fine. But I think this capped things off. Let in, yeah. let Indy yeah. let Indy just go. Let Indy go live his little life. You know. Yeah, let him retire. Yeah, let yeah. him walk off. Sunset with his lady love, and having had like this adventure where he discovers that there are interdimensional beings. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about how they're not even—they're not even space aliens; they're interdimensional aliens. (laughs) He has like met and touched and been in their uh, ultimate museum slash horde. (laughs) Yeah, they were hoarders, and you know it's a good. It's a it's a fulfilling capper for the series, and then they want to bring him back. And he's I don't want to be ageist here because they're like hundred year old people who do marathons and shit. But he's seventy seven years old. <laughs> There's only so far people are going to buy it. I I agree. Yeah, <laughs> and he's broken his leg within the last couple of years. I'd be willing to be there for it if they were to fulfill the idea of passing the baton. It didn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be Shia. In fact, we know it can't be now. But passing the baton spiritually to someone else, and maybe the way to do that, which we're now seeing through rumors of India of of James Bond, is maybe you keep the franchise alive, just not necessarily the specific character. 
You know, you can be 007 without being James Bond is what we're hearing nowadays. So who knows by the time this episode comes out, maybe that's not the case anymore. But I think that's an interesting prospect that you could have with this. You can have a new version of Indiana Jones without them being Indiana Jones. Or like Indiana Jones passes it off to like this, this feisty late teenage girl autodidact named like Montana Johnson. <laughs> well, now I'm in Montana Johnson, not to be confused with Hannah Montana. No, Dakota Johnson. <laughs> yeah, because I was gonna say, I was gonna say, just let, just let the Uncharted movie get made, which is those those games are built off of everything Indiana Jones did. It does it well, and if the movie's good, it's a video game movie. It probably won't be, but if the movie's good, <laughs> then like you can have a spiritual successor. And let the spirit live on, but just let it be something different. Yeah, and, and they've tried to do this. I mean, this is spiritually what Tomb Raider tries to be. And that's also a, a video game movie that has failed three times now. Um, yeah. So I, I and, and there's so there's a market for it. People want to see fun adventurers do things, right? Like National Treasure, not great movies. I love them. They are fun. So there's a. No, I want to see. I want to see them solve the puzzles. I want to see them solve the archaeological. Right, which is what we. Puzzles. That's actually you know not to go over here, but that's an excellent point, Nicole. All three of the other films I mean. have puzzles <laughs> that he has to solve, whether it's in the library in the third movie or. I'm sure there's one in the second movie or the staff in the floor in the first movie. There are puzzles that yeah. he has to solve, none of which exist in this movie, really in any capacity. Well, he, has, he has to smash some faces, uh, uh, stone faces. That's a puzzle. Well, he, has to, he has to interpret ambiguously worded messages right. left behind. Ah, the word in this language can mean this, but also this. Ah, you right. got it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also found it somewhat alarming how long it took Indiana Jones to get the three times they fall thing. <laughs> There's a lot of waterfalls around there, and you're going down three of them. So, Indiana Jones Crystal Skull. A lot of waterfalls in South America, man. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, don't even get me started on that scene where they somehow survive all three of those, especially the last one, which is like... Yeah. Which dwarfs Niagara Falls. Like... It's huge. It's just hitting the water would break a couple bones. Yes, that's hitting mm -hmm. concrete at sixty yeah, miles an hour. They didn't hit. Yeah, they teach guys jumping off of aircraft carriers to like cross their legs super tight and cross their arms and hold their nose as tight as they can, and they still expect them to possibly break a bone or two in their feet and or legs Whew. jumping off the carrier deck into the ocean, and that's not. That's far, but not as far as these guys fall. Oh, they fall like 300 <laughs> feet. They're all waving their arms. <laughs> Ugh. I still love Screaming. it. Screaming. All right. Well, next next week, uh, Nicole, remind us one more time the movie. A Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Check it and out. And it is, I assure you, it is entirely worth it just to hear Werner Herzog's narration. It's the most soothing thing in the whole world. Very good. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's go around the table, see where we can find everybody online. David, where can people find you? People can find me, of course, on the Brokebot Mountain podcast that I also do with Phil Rude. You can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. And on the coming before long, I'm going to keep pimping it so I actually make it uh, Xanarkind Radio 
where my friend and I replay Final Fantasy X. Very cool. Nicole, what about you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's almost like you're <laughs> not prepared Facebook for the question again. I ask you every week. No, no. Facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. I'm sort of the shepherd. I check in on it. You can leave us messages there. I post there when we put up our you did this to us poll. Uh, it now automatically posts every time we have a new episode go out. So you can keep an eye on that, you know, like our page and it'll let you know every time there's a new app. Um, and you can find me on Letterbox, which I need to go back and look at and update again. Uh, Nicole underscore Davis on Letterboxd. Very good. I would also recommend following us not only on Facebook and Twitter, Movie Go Round, for the You Did This To Us polls and the get notification of new episodes, but we're starting to pull more content out of our archives as it is relevant and throw it on those channels whenever there's some news announcements or something that's relevant to something we've previously done. So if you are someone who has not yet delved into the, at this point, 82, 81, because this is 82, back catalog episodes, and you're looking for places to start that are relevant to what's going on, that's a great place to go, is our Facebook and our Twitter. You can email the show again, hi at mgrpodcast.com, H-I. We would love to hear from you. Do you hate or do you love Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? It seems like it's pretty polarizing, as we've learned today. Check it out over there. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, social.mgrpodcast.com is where you can go to find all of the links that we just talked about. We dropped a ton of them, so it's probably a lot easier to just go to social.mgrpodcast.com. We'll see you next week. 